Okay, everybody, thank you for joining us uh, 15th of February for the National Town Hall. Here's what we're gonna talk about. Uh, Kat Sitcher will start off with an update. Uh, we're gonna have something from benefits and then we'll go through several committees here. Uh, NCN, Captain's Authority, Compass Scheduling, Contract Compliance, and then we'll finish off with the uh, Negotiating Committee. And with that, uh, President Sitcher, you are up. What do you have for the group? Hey, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. How am I coming across over there? I'm uh, back in Fort Lauderdale here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear, Ed. Okay, thanks for doing all the planning for this. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. These are super important as far as I'm concerned. You know, regularly we have three, four, five thousand guys on the call. It's the great way to get the message across to our members. And uh, I'm just going to continue with these as long as possible to try to get the word out to you. Um, we're going to go back to the original format as Chris decided. You know, a few weeks ago, I tried my way, which is just having a bunch of guys call in. And uh, the advantage of that is we get more questions answered. The disadvantage is uh, a lot of uh, important information we can't get out to you guys. So maybe we'll flip flop back and forth between the, uh, I guess, the free for all uh, jungle rules method that I had on my uh, on my telephone town hall conference and the way Chris runs it. Uh, there's a lot happening here at APA right now. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. The, the most important thing for the members is we're back at the table negotiating uh, in earnest. We've got a whole heck of a lot better baseline established, in my opinion, than when Chris and I and, and uh, Pat Clark stepped into office here in July. Uh, obviously, what we got on the table right now is a whole lot better than where we were at last year. And it looks like the company, at least from the indications I have, is, uh, is also negotiating in good faith. I'll have some more from you in the next few weeks as this stuff continues. Uh, a lot of positive changes at AA too. Uh, I could just start with the negative part is a lot of problematic employees that we had over at AA have been removed or are retiring. And so I just see better and better people across the table from us. I don't know if that portends well for our negotiations, but I can tell you that some of the people we, we have found to be intransigent in the past have been removed. So let's hope we keep moving in that direction. Also, uh, that grievance and ad hoc committee that I promised you guys when I ran for office last year has finally got their feet on the ground. Tracy Perella is leading it up. It puts pilots back in control of the grievance process. I'm hugely optimistic that we will be able to go ahead and work our way through the majority of the grievances we have before this contract is signed out. Uh, you know, we're using, I think what we're doing is using legal as they should be used as their expert advisors and not as the leads for taking a lot of these grievances. And as you know, Trish Kennedy did a great job, but she was way overworked. One lawyer for uh, 15,000 pilots worth of grievances was just not working. The other advantage of the grievance ad hoc committee is these guys are actively, uh, I guess, conversing with the negotiating committee. And we're trying to you know, fortify the language we have in that contract to make sure that our grievance contract, you know, contractual language uh, avoids creating the log jams and the backlogs that we have right now. Uh, let's see what else is happening. No float. I thought the no float went great. 20% of our guys increased over last year. 70 to 75% of our members decided to take their contractually earned vacation. Uh, that represents thousands of mandates uh, that we will be able to relax and, and uh, enjoy ourselves instead of going to work uh, for, you know, this company right now, they're, they're working us to death. It's a huge deal. It was a positive response from the membership. I thought that went great. TTS, not so good. On the negative side, the board spent a lot of time last week debating over the TTS system. And I think that everybody agrees that this system is not quite ready for prime time. You know, the way the company has locked down TTOT at this point, though, it doesn't leave that as a viable alternative either. Um, I think we've got Drew Coleman on the line, so I'm hoping there's going to be some calls on that. Uh, and then uh, the NTSB. I, I won't go too long on that, but uh, there's been a change in status quo from the NTSB. It's taken up a whole hell of a lot of my time over the last week, uh, even though I was supposed to have been on vacation. Bottom line is the NTSB has changed status quo with respect to interviewing our crews that are involved in incidents or accidents. And it's not just APA. It's any airline crew that's involved in an incident or an accident that the NTSB decides to investigate. In the past, the status quo was they used recordings, if there were recordings, only to develop accurate transcripts. Then the recordings were destroyed. They went ahead and changed that unilaterally and now said they're going to hold on to the recordings forever. I absolutely feel that is horrible practice. It, it absolutely does not allow our crews 
to be collaborative and cooperative during an investigation. It's like being in the court of law under interrogation by a lawyer, and you don't know what the questions are going to be, and you can't back up any misquotes that you make, and it's on public record for the rest of time. And, and we've gotten, or I've gotten every other president from every other major airline, except for ALPA, to go ahead and sign on to that letter. And we're hopefully going to get that letter published uh, coming into this weekend. We'll see right now. Uh, we've got tens of thousands. I think we're at the 60 or 70,000 pilots groups that are on board for not allowing the NTSB to change status quo. I'm hoping ALPA sees the light and comes on board quickly, and then we'll move forward on that. So uh, without burning up any more of your time, Chris, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it back to you. All right. Thanks, Ed. Uh, another couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, we're going to continue with the uh, standard here, doing the next version of this on the 15th of March at 1600 Central. There's the email for uh, feedback if you got it, townhall at allietpilots.org. And I did have the Charlotte reps ask me to give a pitch for anybody uh, who's going to be uh, uh, at Charlotte tomorrow, even if you're not Charlotte-based, just flying through from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the food court. Uh, the Charlotte reps plus the National Communications Network uh, folks are going to be out there. So please stop by Concourse Conversation. Uh, you can talk to the reps and talk to NCN and uh, you know get, get and give some info. Okay, so on to the Q&A. The first one is going to be for uh, Captain Dennis Tazier. Why are we not being more aggressive with our media slash press campaign as it pertains to the progress of our negotiations? We should have a consistent press message about the slow pace slash status of our negotiations. So uh, communications chair, Dennis Tazier, over to you. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we've had a, a very aggressive actually calm campaign. Uh, much of it, as, you, as many can understand, is triggered by events on the outside. Uh, yeah, operations falling apart. There's been a whole lot of attention on that. As a measure of what APA has done in that world, when they call us, uh, we answer. And this summer, with the operational meltdowns and the attention from the uh, federal side and, of course, the traveling public, uh, we measure uh, how many stories are out there through a third party. It's basically, it says, well, if you ran ads to get your story out there, how much would you have to pay to get the story out there that did get out there through the media? That measure was over $60 million, $60 million this summer. Um, our story uh, has been told out there and it's been focused around operations. Now I all know, I know we all want operations to be better so we can get home to our families and have some certainty in our schedules. Um, the operation is rolling pretty strong right now. Um, there's some interest in, in our contract because Delta's uh, TA is coming up. It's more focused to, uh, um, some of the specialized media folks that cover uh, uh, labor, uh, pilot labor in particular. But we cross-pollinate that into the issues, the, the restraints that American has on it. And just recently in a quarterly call, uh, Robert Isom admitted, we have a shortage of Czech pilots, and we are hopeful that we can work on a more flexibility with APA during this new contract. Uh, they're more than living it. They're telegraphing it directly out to the media. So we've had some inquiries there. Um, wrap it up. I, I would like to uh, also add that uh, I'm the chairman of the Investor Relations Committee. That's the outreach program that works with the sell side analysts. That you see JP Morgan, Jamie Baker, and, and there's more than a dozen analysts, as well as the institutional investors, those folks like Fidelity, Vanguard, and on with the hedge fund folks. Uh, they meet with us frequently and they call us frequently and we engage with them uh, such that when we see the analyst notes, and I may throw a couple into the uh, news digest so you can see it, they are noting what we are noting and finally what Robert Isom is confessing to. Uh, I'll go even further, one more step. Uh, Derek Kerr, the, the former CFO at American, recently stated in an, in an article that they are not able to utilize their aircraft. They're under, uh, they're a 10% uh, utilization um, under rate right now, and he attached it to mainline pilot training. So uh, uh, the operation is rolling. It's on our backs, and the media goes where the story goes, and uh, we're doing all that we can to make sure that the contract, the make it better at AA for not only our passengers, but for the enterprise, and most importantly, our pilots, is a storyline out there. You'll see more coming up. Um, but they go where the news is, so we've got to make the news. Thank you. All right, thanks for that, Dennis. Next one, I'm going to uh, throw over to LaGuardia Chair Captain Larry Cutler. Why have we not filed for mediation and taken a strike vote? Hey, thanks, Chris. Uh, this is Larry. Thanks for having me. Uh, hey, Chris, uh, the board has all legal actions on the table. 
Um, you know, the both options are available to APA leadership. Uh, we haven't taken anything off the table. And as the membership's aware, uh, the APA legal has already been tasked by the board to prepare the application to the NMB. So that's ready to go as soon as it's needed. Uh, and, you know, both these actions can be effective for us at the bar in the, under the bargaining process, under the RLA. And so we're watching the progress of the negotiating committee closely, uh, and we're coordinating with them closely so that we can take these actions at the absolute best time to, you know, to achieve the goal, our, our collective goal, when, uh, when the negotiating committee says they, they, they you know, those actions are, uh, are warranted. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. Uh, next one, Ed, this is, uh, this is going to go to you, and I know we've got some board members on here if they want to take it as well. Why did the president and the board of directors fire some committee members for floating vacation and allowed some to remain? Let's see, can you hear me now? All right, perfect. Uh, thanks. I could start off with this. Look, uh, my bad on it. I started to remove the committee members. Any, any committee chairman or person who was in a leadership position at APA that floated has been removed from their position already. I'm still working my way through the list. And as I work my way, there'll be more and more removals. As an added uh, uh, piece, I'm not going ahead and putting anybody on a committee if they have floated. So it's not only going to get you removed, but it'll prevent you from going ahead and being put on a committee by APA. So uh, my bad for being on vacation for a week and a half. This vacation was supposed to have happened a long time ago. It was something I needed to do. But uh, I'm still working my way through the list. That's why there's apparent there's the appearance of a disparate application. But I am still working my way through. I've gotten all, like I said, all the committee chairmen done, and I am not jumping over them to get to their members until I've talked to the committee chairman, and I'm giving them the option of removing them themselves or letting me go ahead and make a direct phone call to remove them myself. So that's the way we're working that. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Thanks, Ed. Next, <clears throat> uh, what leverage do you think the pilot group actually has to affect change? So I I'm going to take this one mostly because uh, if you all remember, there was an email that I sent out uh, on the 24th of September. I've got it up there. I'm not going to obviously read through the whole thing, but it's called our state of negotiations. And uh, if anybody wants to, you can just do a search on the APA website and pull that up. Uh, but basically in that email, I listed out uh, just eight examples of what if, you know, that asked our pilots hey, what if we all did these things? And all of the examples were either examples of simply following your contract or following the guidance that APA had put out. Uh, and it's the, the point that I was trying to put across with this is that the leverage that we have is when we not only understand our contract, but when we follow the contract, as well as when we follow union guidance. Uh, and the part that's tough here is there are some pilots and I've gotten the feedback. Well, I don't want to do that because that's not convenient for me. Um, and unfortunately, that can't be the answer. You, you, you know, when when the contract says do this or when your union asks you to do this, we need you to follow that even if the outcome isn't good for you. Okay, next question. Uh, so this was actually submitted and it will be re-asked in the negotiating section, but I wanted to ask it more generically because I'd like uh, Captain Harvey Meek from the Government Affairs Committee to uh, to address this, which is what is APA doing to protect our jobs with regards to single pilot operations in the future? Harvey. Thanks, Chris. Well, I'll start off by saying what we've done in the past. In the 116th, Cong 116th Congress, that was two Congresses ago, there was a bill introduced by Representative Chip Roy in Texas, uh, uh, looking for funding to study single pilot uh, uh, operations for cargo ops. Uh, we got that bill killed. Let's fast forward to uh, the current Congress. Uh, last weekend, APA hosted a conference with the uh, IFALPA, that's the International Federation of Airline uh, Pilots Associations, to study the issue. And that, that wasn't a topic of discussion. Um, we um, we're collaborating with our counterparts over in Europe. This initiative is is uh, largely starting in Europe. Um, they've they've got a solid footing uh, with EASA to study the concept. Uh, Airbus is is uh, also looking into it. Boeing has their own uh, UAS uh, program with uh, DARPA, and uh, you know this is this is in the study phase right now. And uh, so what what has has been done. Uh, five airlines currently in the United States have contractual language 
that requires two pilots in, in an aircraft operating the aircraft. Uh, those five airlines are United, Delta, Alaska, JetBlue, and Hawaiian. Um, the issue has not come up in the new Congress yet, but it's still um, it's still new. They're just getting their feet on the ground, and right now they've been um, um, largely occupied with the number of uh, close calls that we've had. Uh, undoubtedly, it will surface, and when it does, we will attack the issue. Um, one of the uh, uh, methods uh, that it's likely to, or avenues it's likely to appear, is in the FAA reauthorization bill. We will work to uh, to make sure it's omitted entirely. And another um, another avenue for killing it is is to kill any funding towards studying the concept. But right now, it's not appearing on this side of the Atlantic. Excellent. Thanks for that, Harvey. Uh, next question. I've heard that open session videos have portions redacted before being released to the membership. Why is this happening? Uh, and this is this is referring to board of directors meetings. So I'll, I'll take this. Um, there there are rare occasions where open session videos have been redacted. This does not happen often. To the best of my recollection, uh, I, I came onto the board in uh, midway through 2020. I can only think of about two or three times when this has happened. Um, in in all of those occasions, it's because Generally, it's because the person who is speaking uh, does not have awareness of either where they're at or what they're speaking. And what, by, what I mean by that is they may say something that was referenced in closed session and they forget the fact that that was something we talked about in closed session, not to be uh, uh, widely distributed. Or they may actually forget that, in fact, we are in open session and thinking that we're in closed session uh, when that happens. So it doesn't happen often. It's it's very rare um, and it's it's only done at the um, at the direction of APA legal, which is something that's in our policy manual. We, we can't just arbitrarily redact stuff from the meetings. It has to be at the direction of APA legal. Okay, next question, Ed, this is uh, gonna be for you. In January, the APA president stated that ALPA supports lowering ATP standards to 500 hours. On February 7th, 2023, ALPA president, Captain Jason Ambrosi spoke to Congress very strongly about lowering ATP standards due to safety concerns. Why is our leadership making inaccurate public statements? Ed. Hey, thanks, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity to answer this question. Uh, first of all, what I said was 100% accurate and true. Uh, yeah, Jason Ambrosi in 2023 went ahead and doubled down on the 1,500-hour uh, the ATP. But back in 2016, when the Aviation uh, Rulemaking Committee, the Air Carrier uh, ARC, it's called Air Carrier Training Aviation Rulemaking Committee, was meeting, ALPA went ahead and is on the record as advocating for a, an additional 250-hour reduction. I've got that report. ALPA's on the, on the record as going ahead and advocating for a reduction to those already lowered standards. And you remember, there's, there's three ways to go ahead and get less than 1,500 hours based on that 2016 ARC. It's that the military guys get 750. A four-year accredited university gets you 1,000 for the restricted ATP. And then you got the two-year accredited university that allows you uh, to only go down to 1250. But, you know, even if you have that restricted ATP, uh, you still have to go ahead and have a thousand hours of air carrier training or uh, experience before you can move to the left seat. In any case, back in 2016, ALPA was absolutely, and I'm going to unequivocally say this because I've been accused of making a misstatement by the APA to ALPA crowd on board for lowering the standards even more. Kappa. That's the industry lobby group that we belong to, that we push our dues money over to. States unequivocally, hold on, let me pull it up because I want to read it. CAPA does not support any reduction in the already low minimum flight time pathways established by the FAA. So uh, my hat's off to Jason. I think the guy did a great job in the Delta Mac, but just because he's advocating to hold the line at 1500 hours, doesn't mean that ALPA's been on that side of the issue in the past. As a matter of fact, Tim Canole, I think, was the president in 2016. They were pushing to uh, to go ahead and lower it. And I, if you can go back as far as Randy Babbitt, let me, let me go ahead and double down on this statement since the ALPA crowd right now is holding my feet to the fire. I mean, Randy Babbitt's a former president of ALPA. Where is he at right now? He is lobbying for the Regional Airline Association. And what do you think their position is? Their position is to lower the ATP standards. So there's a double down on ALPA to go ahead and lower the standards. Anyway, Chris, before I get going too far, I'm going to go ahead and hand it back over to you. Thanks for going ahead and allowing me to answer the question. Okay, thanks, Ed. 
so that's it for the questions for us. We're going to go over to APA benefits now. We've got Marcy Scott, uh, the director of benefits, Joanne Gold, uh, Goldfarb, uh, the manager of retirement and disability, and Ashley Kurtz, the benefits coordinator. Uh, they're going to talk about some financial protection and options. So let's see, Marcy, Joanne, I see you both unmuted. Whoever would like to take over. Thank you, Chris. This is Marcy. A um, couple of things we want to approach you today is uh, regarding your financial protection and knowing your options through the APA benefit plans and also options that you have through the company. Um, it doesn't take much to be out of work due to a medical uh, condition or injury. And our question to you is, are you protected? Um, what benefits do you have in place to supplement your income if you cannot work due to injury or illness? How will you pay your bills, take care of your family, or put food on the table? How do you keep income coming in when you are no longer getting a regular paycheck from flying? These are questions that we get from you. We often get calls from members and pilots when it's too late. They don't have PMA and POD or any type of um, disability protection in place to protect themselves should the inevitable occur or take place. So we're here to help you understand that you do have options. Uh, we want to encourage you to make sure that you know your benefits that you know the do's and the don'ts, and that you determine what do you need to support your lifestyle should that happen. Slide, please. Looking at the numbers, what you pay versus what you get. So an example that we're using here is if a pilot pays into the plan, the PMA plan that is, which is our short-term disability plan for 12 months and is on disability for the full 12-month period. If you are a first-year pilot, the monthly benefit amount that you would get is $19.80. Your monthly contribution is $45, and annually you're paying $540. The benefit that you would receive when you're on disability is $23,760. We want to show you these numbers so you can see what you would get should you need this benefit. Looking at the third-year pilot, if you're getting a benefit amount of $39.60, you pay a monthly contribution of $90 annually that comes up to $10.80. If you're out on disability for that 12-month period, you would get $47,520 in a benefit. Don't leave money sitting on the table. Next slide, please. Another example is for our POD plan, which is our long-term disability plan. If a pilot pays into the plan, same scenario for 12 months and is on disability for a full 12-month period, Looking at a 35-year-old pilot that elected to uh, have $3,200 in a monthly benefit for coverage, they would pay $13.12. Annual contribution, excuse me, is $150.44. That pilot, when they file for disability, would receive an annual benefit of $38,400. And I'm going to skip down to the last line. If you're a 57-year-old pilot, you would like to have an $8,000 monthly benefit because you're out on disability. You're paying $224. Your annual contribution is the $2688. You would get $96,000 in a benefit. Next slide, please. What you get, you do not pay for your company LTD. We get this question often here in the benefits department. Pilots think that they either don't have long-term disability coverage through the company or that they pay for it. You do not pay for it, it is a negotiated benefit. And after 90 days on disability, you could get up to $8,000 per monthly benefit, which would be an annual benefit of up to $96,000. The numbers that we're showing you here are numbers before the taxes are taken out. So we just wanna take the time to walk through some of this to break down the numbers just a little bit further for you. And at this time, I'll pass it over to Joanne. Okay, next slide please, Chris. So we wanted to also give you a physical representation of what that might look like. So if we're talking about a captain who is making anywhere between twenty dollars to $25,000 and all they have is the company LTD, Chris, can you go ahead and advance? This is what it looks like if they would be out on LTD. Um, and this is showing the 8000 which is before the taxes come out, before the benefit contributions come out. So keeping that in mind, you know that that's going to drop that amount. So if this pilot had PMA, Chris, please, he's adding that extra level of protection to his, to his family, to his household, and getting that benefit, which is tax-free because you're paying for it with after-tax dollars. 
And if he's out beyond that 12 months, um, Chris, again, please. He's adding to that um, going forward. So this pilot has elected the $8,000 benefit. So yes, there might be some overlap for one or two months with the PMA and the pilot occupational, which would be a nice little bolster. But even after that PMA ends, he still has that additional coverage and additional protection to um, the pilot's family and um, his or her household. Uh, Chris, if you can advance, please. So if we're looking at numbers, for the first 12 months uh, on LTD, this is beyond the elimination period, the pilot would be receiving the PMA benefit and the company LTD at the same time. And that would be for the first 12 months, pre-tax, we're looking at $143,000. Um, for the second 12 months, uh, going into months 12 through 24 and beyond, depending on the disability. You know, the PMA might have dropped off, but the pilot occupational is, was there for this pilot. And with the $8,000 benefit that this pilot was signed up for, it then brings up the uh, household income uh, for his family, and his or her family, and then their protection. Uh, Chris, please. So before it's too late, you need to take action now. Know your options. Know what you have. Uh, you can go onto the Benefit Elect portal on the APA website to see what APA benefit plans you're enrolled in. Um, on the APA website, we have the plan documents. Uh, so if you wanted to download those so you and or your uh, spouse will have those in case of an emergency. Um, you could also download the forms if you wanted to to have those on hand. Uh, my parents keep a binder uh, that has emergency information. You know, it, in the case of an emergency, here's what you need. Um, know how the plans work. These are your plans. You need to know how they work. Um, yes, we are here to walk you through them. We're here to answer any questions. But again, these are your plans. Um, enroll. So you have these plans in place if something dire happens. Um, can't tell you how often we hear, oh, I thought I was enrolled in that. Um, give us a call. Tell, you know, ask us questions. Check your eligibility. Um, we'll help you walk through the filing process for the AA and the APA LTD uh, policies. Uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, you'll see the number there in our email address, as well as the uh, website address as well. Thank you, Chris. Right. Thank you, Joanne and um, uh, Marcy for that. And we will now move to the National Communications Network, Wes Smith. Okay, thank you, Chris. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Captain Wes Smith. I'm the Deputy Chair for NCN. And real quick, I'll try to keep this within my allotted time. We've got a few slides to go through. But the biggest question I get with a lot of line pilots that fly with me is, what is NCN? In short, NCN are, are members that volunteer. Um, they are in red lanyards around the system. But formally, NCN uh, is a board-sanctioned program to facilitate two-way communication, and that's face-to-face -face communication between pilots and their elected leaders. Listening to feedback can be time-consuming, but it is the benefit of our program. Next slide, Chris. Now, as far as it goes for advocacy and act activism, um, NCN gives line pilots a conduit to our union. So realistically, 20 of our domicile reps cannot speak to everyone. So we're out there trying to facilitate this. Um, NCA, NCN relays the info, and if it's necessary, we try to inspire action. And we do that by asking pilots to read their emails, um, listen to the new podcast, which is Positive Rate, or watch a video uh, that's been put out from either Ed or Chris or any other committee. Uh, we also encourage pilots to attend domicile events and domicile meetings. We also remind pilots of the deadline to vote in elections, which are a few bases are coming up with election deadlines. 
Um, NCN brings APA to the pilot group, so NCN can convey the union's message in the crew rooms, in the cockpit, or on the layover hotel. Also, it's done by uh, visiting concourse events. Next slide, please. Real quick, some benefits of the NCN um, program, the, it's credibility. So we'll talk a little about credibility. The information is credible because it comes from your fellow NCN pilot. Pilots tend to believe other pilots before they're gonna believe anybody else. So there's a little more credibility when it's coming from fellow pilot. But in order for that to happen, it has to be accurate. So info is accurate because it comes directly from the source, which is our leadership at APA, and empowerment. It, the more pilots receive the most up-to-date information, the stronger our union will become. Um, how do we disseminate messages? We'll go into this a little bit. NCN coordinators, uh, which I have myself and then Howard Kwan and Sandra Mertz work alongside with me, where we relay approved messages to the volunteers via email, um, via our website, which is where we post our cross-check issues. So if you are an NCN member, you will get a cross-check issue, which gives you background information and all the facts to convey. And we also do it via the phone. NCN volunteers distribute the message via personal contacts, crew rooms on the line during your trip, meetings, events, hotel overnights, and even concourse visits. Next slide, Chris. Feedback and response. I think one of the most important things about our program is it can only work if NCN volunteers relay the feedback to our NCN leaders. In turn, I'm gonna show you a circle and a few more slides on how it works, but if our NCN volunteers are relaying the info back to myself, Howard, and Sander, um, we're able to take it to the appropriate leadership. So the volunteers need to keep track of everything they hear of, concerns, criticisms, praise, rumors, misunderstandings, et cetera. And then they'll report the trends and concerns to the NCN leaders via uh, brief emails or during an NCN conference call. NCN leaders then report the feedback trends to the BOD, or I should say the national officers and the board of directors. The National Officers and Board of Directors uh, decide if the strategy should be changed based on that feedback. So it kind of works a lot like um, sound offs as well. Next slide, Chris. Pilot feedback. Um, so this is actually the crux of NCN's role, closing the communication loop. We make sure that the board and national officers are briefed on what our volunteers find out on the line. And for those of you that are on a Zoom call and looking at our slide, these are just some examples of, of hot topics that have been relayed to us from the pilot group. Um, they're not in a specific order. And I do know that the negotiating committee is um, approaching a lot of these things that you may see on the screen. We have obligation reassignments, schedule adjustment improvements, red and redder, um, clear and con concise contractual language. A lot of folks have told us they want improved hotel quality, long and short-term disability improvements, trip link balance, and get rid of the fatiguing trips. Those are just some examples. Next slide. As I mentioned earlier, here's kind of a circle of how this, or the, the community, I call it the circle of trust. <laughs> It works, but uh, first, what it, it's a continuous loop. So the communication team gets its direction from the NOBOD, and then it goes through a legal review, and then it comes. What well, actually comes back through myself, which is uh, the deputy chair. It should be not the chair, but and then through the volunteers, and then it goes back to the board and national officers back to communication. So it's a continuous loop. We keep moving the message around so that what we're sending out to the pilot group is being heard back from uh, each of our volunteers back all the way up to our leadership team. Next slide, please. If anybody's interested in NCN, um, which I highly recommend it, it's a great entry position level to be involved in. You could kind of dip in your toe in the water if you wanna do some volunteer work. Um, it doesn't take a lot of your spare time. You can do it while you're flying your trips. But if you're interested, I'd invite you to go to our uh, webpage on the APA website. And as highlighted on the screen, you can click on the um, volunteer today and that will uh, 
trigger an email to us and then we'll put you on the list and you'll get a welcome email. And then there's a lot of steps through there that you can take our training and, and start becoming one of our members. We're looking to get the pilot group up to about 10%. Um, so yes, 10% of the pilot group for volunteers, which is about 1500. So with that, thanks, Chris. And uh, off to you. All right. Thanks, Wes. <clears throat> and I'll make one more pitch for, for NCN. For anybody who's wanted to get involved with uh, doing union work, uh, NCN is, is the uh, easiest and quickest way you can do that. And as, Le uh, Les, as Wes has just laid out, uh, it, you're literally just talking to pilots. Um, so if, if that's something you're interested in, uh, please reach out to them. Wes talked about 10% of the pilot group. It would be great if 100% of this pilot group was, uh, was members of the National Communications Network. So thanks with that. And next, we're going to move to the Compass Project. And we've got uh, Captain Dave Laszlo. You are up. Thank you, Chris. I'm Dave Laszlo. I'm part of the Return to Work pilot support team. As you can see, uh, part of the evolution of Compass has... Uh, gone through the recent vacation bidding issue we did a, helped 123 pilots that called our uh hotline and helped them with the bidding assistance if you'd like to be a part of the evolution of the compass t team please uh scan the qr code uh here it will be uh, obviously part of the archives of this if, if you need to get back to us you can also email us uh, at compass at alliedpilots.org and we can get you involved. You see that at the top of the slide there, Compass Project at alliedpilots.org. Next slide, please. Hey, Dave, do me a favor and kill your video. Slide, you can hear me? Yeah, yeah. kill your video. I, I think it's uh, messing with your audio, please. Okay, so what is the return to work pilots? I'll start speaking to the next slide. Um, we support pilots who've been gone. Uh, I personally uh, helped a LTD pilot who was gone 18 years. I helped another pilot, uh, two other pilots who've been gone 20 for military, uh, for who are in the military, who've been gone for 20 years. The first thing, and if you hear anything at all that I'm talking about, if you could please contact us before contacting AA. Uh, once you start contacting AA, the freight train is already going on the tracks and we can't put on the brakes. Our team can help you, RTWP at alliedpilots.org, return to work pilots at alliedpilots.org. And we can help uh, you get start moving along. You can see the numbers. Um, actually, these numbers are a little bit less now. I've actually had three people join. Uh, we've actually had 20 pilots return in the last 45 days and more coming. Uh, so it's definitely we need people to help us out if you're interested in. So uh, numerous non-sponsors. What that means is uh, people call, call us and ask us questions. We being Steve Ash, Kathy Shelton, and myself. Um, so we answer their questions, even though we don't, they don't take on a sponsorship. We highly recommend that we take you as a sponsor uh, so that we can help you because there's just so many rapid changes. Um, so again, that email triggers are the support you need. Next slide, please. So where you can find our, when our team starts to support you, uh, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to walk you through this checklist. You, Everybody has access to this. You can see how to get there under return to work. This is for people that are on LTD, VELOA, military returns. Uh, military pilots, one of the things that they decide not to do is they get a military return checklist from the military side of the house, but they don't look at the LTD checklist. The LTD checklist, which we'll talk about, uh, actually took us four months to build. And step one is Marsha Riki on the LTD side of it. But step two is a very important lady named Tamara Ellery. And she sends a, you to a training uh, checklist and, and fill, you fill out the training checklist. And then our team comes alongside you and helps you make a decision as to what domicile, what type of uh, plane you want to fly and what seat you want to fly. It's basically 11 pages of corporate knowledge. This is being updated all the time. Even though we spent four months doing it, we find changes all the time. So as a sponsor, what will you do? You will be welcomed uh, by, uh, by a sponsor. If you come back, you're going to get our support. Um, one of the things in here, the training in particular, if you look at the iPad, most people when they come back say, I have to have my iPad to study. That is not true at all. We can walk you through the A pilots. 
uh, curriculum and get you on a, on the road even before you come back. Indoc issues right now uh, they are having the return to work pilots do indoc uh, in Charlotte. So if you're a Dallas commuter or a Dallas person you've never ever commuted to training, you need an A1 pass. We can help you figure that out. Uh, one last thought. Um, Again, please send an email to us at rtwp at alliedpilots.org. If you know someone that's on, on military leave, you know someone that's on LTD, please pass that uh, email to them. Because if you're not ready for training, when you come back, they're going to start you right away. Um, I've had some people that said, well, I'll come back over Thanksgiving and they won't start me. People started classes at Thanksgiving. And people had simulators over Chris, so they are going to use, use, utilize you. Bottom line, be ready. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks, Dave, for that. Uh, next, we're going to go to the scheduling committee, Captain Drew Coleman. Hey, Chris, can you hear me? Hey, loud and clear, Drew. Uh, no problem. Didn't get to do sound check earlier. So what I've got here is TTS updates. So a lot of people are saying that the system isn't working and that there aren't trades happening. Uh, I am here to say that it is happening. There are contractual trades that we've seen. We've seen no errors where a non, a contractual trade should have happened and it didn't happen. Uh, we are seeing the company is controlling the open time limits uh, and forcing or depressing what the system should do and in a way, but that is their contractual right at the moment under the current rules. I will say that of the four bases that are on the new system, Approximately 63% of pilots have traded a trip of some sort. They've had a change in their schedule uh, on that system. And almost 34% of the trips have traded hands. So there are movement on there. It's not great. There's not a lot of people dropping, which I know a lot of people like to drop and clear their schedules. So it's not so much a dropping as much as there is some trades. Um, I've had questions from pilots asking me about sick time usage and are, is there a spike in sick time? As of right now, there is not a spike in sick time. It's pretty much uh, on par with the rest of the months uh, preceding up to this month. So that's my update from TTS. All right, thanks, Drew. And uh, we got one question here and John Wickham's gonna answer that, but I, I will reiterate okay. what, what you just said. And you, you can correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, Drew, but a lot of the feedback that we've got is, is when, when Drew has gone out there and done a lot of work to try to present information on how the, the system is working. He has said things like the system is working as it's supposed to. That is not an endorsement of what is happening, which, uh, and, and the, the feedback from the pilot group, which is primarily a factor of the open time limits, which the company controls. So the programming is working. It's the open time limits that are preventing trades, which the company controls. Drew, would you say that's accurate? That, that is accurate. I, I very much, hate the user interface. I hate the fact it takes 10, 12, 14 steps to do something. Uh, and that is something we are trying to get changed as well. But as far as its functionality of actually moving stuff around for a pilot, it does function. And like Chris said, it is being arbitrarily controlled uh, by, which it was in the same in the TTOT as well with the forced red days. So we're not seeing any decrease or increase of the pressure on the system. So we are seeing the, the move over to this as on par with what we've experienced the last several months. All right, thanks, uh, Drew. And we've got one question here that's gonna be uh, taken by uh, John Wickham, who's dual-hatted as a member of the scheduling committee, as well as the uh, chair of the operational analysis committee, which is, what's the percentage of flying on an average day that is covered by premium and OG? John Wickham, you are up. That's a question we get a lot commonly, what's going on with premium. Uh, right now, we're basically around 5% as our rolling average per day. Uh, looking at the last 30 days of duty periods that have PM, PR, or OG. Last summer, we had that upwards of almost 17% with peaks of about 22%. Uh, mostly everything has been dropping off from last summer and uh, everything is looking like there's probably going to be some more increase on the daily duty rates of uh, premium. All right, easy enough. Thanks, John. Next up, contract compliance. Uh, I believe uh, Captain Jason Saxer, are you going to be doing the talking here? I am. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Jason Saxer, the new uh, contract compliance committee chairman. Uh, Captain Chris Bush is also in the room. Um, but uh, we'll go through uh, a Q&A here, allow you guys to answer, and then we'll uh, give you some uh, plugs on our new 
uh, training. But uh, the question this week or this month is, can I decline a replacement flying uh, or RO added sequence on my schedule? There's the options there, you can read them, but uh, yes, with the mutual decline and forfeit your sequence protection. Yes, with the mutual decline and uh, retain your sequence protection and generating a co contact slip. Yes, with the non-mutual decline, forfeit your sequence protection and be blocked or no, you must fly all sequences. There's also a, a last option, both A and C. So go ahead and answer that question. We'll put the, uh, put the uh, get the results of that. Uh, in just a second, but uh, while while everybody answers that, um, our uh, just a quick plug for rules of engagement with APA. If you need some uh, contract assistance, our our first recommended stop is by the Compass Project. Get uh, familiar with the topic that you're asking questions about, um, and then you can engage uh, contract admin and your local uh, domicile Triple C volunteers. And then you're always, uh, of course, encouraged to uh, ask us for additional assistance if you need it. Uh, there's a lot of questions about uh, holiday pay and uh, the LOA and the presidential grievance. Um, right now, if you can, you know, jump through the hoops and send the direct connects and and try to uh, resolve your problem there, no one is saying that it's in a timely fashion or a contractual timeline for pay. But um, if you can jump through some of those hoops before you reach out to us, that's great. Um, send the grievance forms to be added to Presidential Grievance 2317, um, and we'll get your information over to legal. Uh, we are continuing our contract compliance, uh, quote-unquote, town halls. Uh, that's our new training format. We've got a, a lot of good feedback on that, so we're going to continue that moving forward. Uh, our plan is to do two per month. It's a little bit easier to digest format, just about an hour or so. Uh, depending on the Q&A, but it's your chance to learn about a couple of topics and ask any question you want. So our next ones are March 7th and March 29th. Uh, the, the comms will be coming out soon. Um, the answer to the question, Chris, uh, looks like the majority, 61%, got it right. Uh, A and C is the correct answer. Uh, so choice E on this slide. Um, that, that was pretty good response. So um, our biggest thing right now is education, so we want you to stay engaged, join the town halls, uh, read the news, digest Q&A. We're, we're trying the education campaign. Uh, it's a full-time job, but please keep asking the questions, and uh, we'll keep providing the answers. All right, thanks, Jason. And <clears throat> bringing us home uh, is the negotiating committee. I've got John Owens on the slide here, but I believe that uh, first officer Chris Walker is actually going to be doing the speaking tonight. Is that uh, Chris, are you up? I am, sir. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, to the extent that you can, if you can give us an update and then we'll go into the questions. Uh, absolutely. Um, you caught me just in the middle of something. Can I get a 60 second Rolex? And yeah, I'll I'm going to filibuster for you because I was actually supposed to tell you that contract compliance was up and give you some time to get out of the room. So um, while, while Chris is uh, getting himself prepared, I'm going to make a disclaimer for him, which is that uh, so we've, make a, we've made a big effort to do these, uh, these town halls every month. Uh, we recently have also made an effort to convert them into the podcast format. So if you can attend, you can basically subscribe to the podcast and it just downloads and you can listen to the whole thing. So that's great in the sense of being able to get uh, the information out to the pilot group. But there is a downside to this, which is that this isn't a closed door union meeting. Um, and additionally, it's it's not even something that, you know, is logged in behind the, the, the APA website. This is something that anybody can subscribe to. So I know that there's a lot of um, you know feedback when the negotiating committee comes on here and they have to answer questions that are kind of in a vanilla manner, that's because, again, we are not in a closed room talking as a group of pilots together. There is a public aspect to this. So um, just understand that Chris uh, or anybody from the negotiating committee, when we do this very publicly to, in an effort to try to get you information, there are some things that, that we have to temper in the answers. So uh, Chris, hopefully that was enough time and uh, you ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. I apologize, everybody. Just had to uh, resituate myself. Uh, obviously, we uh, we are here at APA. Um, we're in uh, another room uh, working on um, some data. As a result of discussions we had, the company was over here at APA today. The company will be coming back over here 
tomorrow. Um, so here's the deal, folks. There's a lot of angst out there right now about Delta's got a deal. Why don't we have the same? Where are we at? We're going to get it right. It was a person over at the company who stated very clearly, if and when Delta united, someone else gets another deal, that the landscape would change and we all would have to adjust. And so we are. As the language came out, the company requested that they could do a review on it. We did a review on it as well. As soon as their language came out, we blasted out to you all. Here's the website. Go read it for yourself. There's a lot of good stuff in that. We also received a lot of feedback from our membership that we needed to produce that review and provide it to you all. And so you, you've gotten that very recently. There was a much more uh, in-depth review done with um, some strategic consequence and implementation um, given to the board so that everyone knows this is exactly where the industry is, where Delta and their current position um, in this iterative and pattern of bargaining sits and where we can and should go um, as a bargaining unit. Uh, so we've taken the time to reset the table, if you will. Okay? Um, the things that we've been focused on, they may not seem glamorous, but they are very, very important to address those issues by which we will build a better contract, okay? So we've had thorough review with the company. The company has responded in kind to us over what hasn't been implemented. We do not want to produce or send you a contract where there are going to be items that won't be implementable, that the company will be able to not implement for years on end. And we have a multitude of processes that are not clearly laid out and lead to confusion on both sides. Okay. So we're, we're working through that. We have also spent an inordinate amount of time talking about mutually defining all of the relevant terms in the contract. Okay. We don't want ambiguous language. We don't want to have imprecise terminology. We don't want, again, there to be a question on what a term means. And the company has responded as well on that uh, in kind. Finally, we've set clear expectations, right? We, um, we want to make sure that our contract, whatever we produce, is clear, concise, correct, programmable contract language. And what I mean by programmable is we don't want to agree to something at the table that ultimately through software, through FOSS, through whatever means, they can't make happen. And so we're stuck with manual processes that take excessive amounts of time. And that sets the table that we build upon. And so this is where we are. What are we doing? Tomorrow, we will be passing a global term sheet covering all sections of the contract and all aspects of the CBA, setting our expectations as given to us from our board and their framework for where we see the industry-leading contract that our APA pilots deserve should be. And with that, I'll take questions. All right, thanks, Chris. And here we go. First question, can we demand that the company propose a target date for a TA? <clears throat> Do you anticipate when it will be complete? What are the barriers to ensuring this happens? Um, it's an interesting question. We absolutely could demand the company propose a target date for a TA. Um, I think that there might be some risk in that. Again, I want to get it done correctly. There is already a mediated outcome establishment in the industry for retroactivity of pay. What that means to me, what that means to you all is that we shouldn't rush or set a quick timeline and leave things sloppily done, things missed, or, or, or just a very basic contract that doesn't meet all of the things that the pilot group is telling us and that the board is telling us. That said, when do we anticipate it will be complete? I don't want to pin myself on a date, but for shame, if we cannot get this done within the next three, six months. Okay. And I don't, and someone's going to go, well, he said three months. Does that mean ratified and I get my paycheck? 
does that mean to the board? Depends on how complex the language goes. It depends on how willing the other side is to move up to that, that industry standard. And without knowing all those things, I can't be pinned to a date. All right, thank you. Next question. Is it possible to get a pay scale with only eight years of service, no groups? This would keep people from chasing seats to chase money. Sure, it's possible. Any, anything can be negotiated. That's currently how uh, UPS has their scale set. But there are some uh, extreme things to consider when you do that. How, how, how do you transition from our current to that pay scale while keeping it fair? There's someone out there that's a, a group two captain that's about to become a group four captain. Do you bring everybody up to that high level? And then there, there's unfairness there. How do you determine that? Do you go to a pure long, long, longevity scale with more years of service beyond 12, et cetera? I will tell you that this is not one necessarily that we have been too tasked to look at, but obviously internally we've evaluated how, how that might go. The second point of that sentence is spot on. It will keep people from chasing seats. And so we discuss with the, the company opportunities to, to mi minimize training impact because that ends up saving them and that ends up creating opportunities for us to, um, to benefit as well. Next, will there be a COLA pay adjustment index included in any new contract? I can't say that there will be. Are we negotiating such things? Are we looking at ways in which to align with consumer price index, to align with what's happening with inflation? Absolutely, yes. All right, next. <clears throat> will the negotiators consider a full-time commitment to hammer, uh, hammer, I think it's supposed to be hammer out our deal since there's significant progress to include working weekends and longer hours? It's kind of weird because this infers that I'm not working weekends or longer hours. Um, our our committee is working every single day. If I am either in front of a computer, writing language, reading language, editing, talking to people internally, talking to board members, talking to members, working with the company, gosh, a, a light day is six hours. I've spent... 14-hour days, five days straight in this building at APA. Um, I, I, and I'm not trying to sing a sob story to y'all, but I want you to know that the, the, the negotiators are heavily invested. And just because you don't see that every day doesn't mean that um, we're not putting in the hours and the time. We're putting in above and beyond because it's important to us. We know it's important to you and we want to get it right. Um, I, I, I don't know what you mean by a full-time commitment. Uh, the committee is fully invested week after week here. Every single person is here. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll back you up on that, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I'll get texts or calls from Chris or John or other members of the negotiating committee before I wake up and I'll get them after I've gone to sleep. So um, I, I'll absolutely support, uh, you know, the point that the, these guys are putting in a full-time job, even if they're not sitting physically at the table with the company. Next, are we negotiating definition section in the next contract? This should include a definition of minimum flight crew and day off. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have a section on definition, section two, but I think that everyone reviews that and they go, well, there's, there's not that many things in here. And there's a lot of other terms that don't show up in the definition section. Uh, and so we have absolutely brought this up with the company. The company is working with us uh, on how we can proceed on this. I think that everyone can look to Perhaps how Delta has done this, they have a very robust definition section. And then in each one of their sections where there are important key definitions for that section, they redefine them there. And they, look, that benefits everybody because it puts everyone on the exact same sheet of paper of what the term means. And so absolutely, minimum flight crew and day off. Um, yes and yes. Um, I know that there's, a, there's another question about, and there's been questions about, uh, a single pilot. I appreciate what, what Harvey said, that there's five uh, companies out there that have specific contract language. I would tell you that our contract has language as well. It has specific definitions of captain and first officer and the requirement to have said captain and first officer. But that doesn't mean that we're uh, not going to look to strengthen that language, to bring it up to modern times and in line 
uh, with, with the industry on this subject. We understand the concern very, very specifically, and uh, we'll be working towards that. What is APA doing to protect our jobs with regards to single pilot operations in the future with this current contract talks? And before you answer, Chris, so this is the one Harvey Meek answered this from a legislative standpoint. So, Chris, if you want to take this from a negotiating standpoint. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's what I was just talking about prior, right, it is, is we have an expectation that through definitions and through through our, our contract that we will have a fully manned uh, cockpit with multiple pilots in it, uh, a captain, a first officer, augmented definitions, et cetera, in order to, to maintain what we know to be the safest uh, way to fly our aircraft. Uh, and so it is absolutely a item that is in current contract talks. Uh, why did the negotiating committee need to take additional time to review Delta's TA when it was already public information? And why was it watermarked as info only? All right, additional time. Well, uh, every time a new contract comes out, of course, we are going to read it. We're going to synthesize the information. We're going to compare it against uh, our, our current contract and, and any positions that, that we are seeking out. Um, the reason why we produced another document was frankly at the demand of, of the pilot group. And so we, we thought it would be beneficial to put that out there and understand that when we put things out to the pilot group, we know that that's not the only audience that may read those. And so sometimes, you know, it, it's constructive to put something out that we know that all parties that are going to be at the table will go, oh, APA has done their homework. They know exactly where the Delta deal is. They know exactly what the new industry standard is. And it helps inform to when we ask relative to those numbers. Uh, why was it watermarked info only? I, I'm not sure. Um, it, you know, it was our take on a Delta thing. We didn't want someone to misconstrue it as being a, a Delta or an Alpha product. Uh, every time my monthly pay hours increases or decreases from the previous month, my next three paychecks go through this crazy gyration of extra pay followed by low checks. Can we normalize the beginning of month advance to a constant number like 40 hours and have all other adjustments paid on the 15th? You know, this is interesting. We've, we've been getting a bunch of these just out of the blue in the last two months. Um, and so I've, I've asked um, VP Torres and, and some others to maybe look into, at least on an education piece, um, for for how to read the paychecks, how to predict your paychecks, uh, and and how they work. To the ask and the option that's there, I think that opens up Pandora's box on some things. Um, and and in in order to get a normalized forty hours, you have to guarantee a forty hours of productivity. And one of the things about uh, pilots at American Airlines is we do have some scheduling flexibility in the fact that there are people who can drop down to zero and that wouldn't work in that model. Um, and so um, it's an interesting idea. Um, consider forwarding it on to your reps or having your reps bring that up, but that present, that's not one that the, the reps have put forward to, uh, to go negotiate. Three months after replacing the negotiating committee, why are we still discussing hotels and past contract implementation items? Right. I, I don't know when I've discussed hotels, but the, the reason we're still discussing it is because we don't have anything finalized on hotels. The reason we're talking about past contract implication items, um, a couple of reasons. If you got something in the last contract and it's not implemented, you still own it. The company still owes it to us. We still expect it. There are a lot of beneficial things that are unimplemented at present that need to be programmed. Further, it reinforces the point that I started at the beginning of. So we don't want to just negotiate something that sounds wonderful, but will never come into effect. So, I mean, ho hotels, sure. And, and, and about 19 other sections that are still very important to us that we need to make sure we get right for our pilots. Are there any plans in, uh, are there any plans on including the jump seaters in the aircraft weight? Yeah, section 19. Section 19 is a big one. We, and, and we want to make improvements to section 19, not just 19C, but 19D or deadheading as well. Uh, the industry is definitely moving to where some people go, man, I have the history of we used to have X, Y, and Z. Yeah, we, we know. And, and we want that recovered. Look, 
pilots in the jump seats commuting in is to the benefit of the company. And we need to get this right. And so absolutely, uh, 19 uh, will be on the table with improvements there. We uh, really appreciate the work of the people uh, on the jump seat committee and in helping us making sure that we capture the language perfectly on that. But yes, absolutely. This is an issue for us. All right, I believe. So that was the last question. Uh, Chris, there was a question from Michael Funk. Did you want to take that one regarding who's at the negotiating table? Oh, sure. Uh, I'll read it out loud. Uh, hold on, let me pull it up. There it is. I heard Captain Moore or Captain Price has been sitting in on the negotiating sessions for the company side. Is there any validity to this rumor? And if so, do you feel it is indicative of the company seeking to reach an agreement more quickly? Uh, validity to the rumor, yes, 100%. Um, both Captain Moore and Captain Price have been involved in uh, negotiating sessions, in meetings, in discussions, um, and, and, and it's important to us uh, that we have a pilot on their side at the table as well. Um, it's, it's a translational thing. It, it's, a, it's a showing of, of respect to the level and the importance of this deal thing, and uh, we appreciate um, uh, both of them uh, being there in the meetings. Is it indicative of the company seeking to reach an agreement more quickly? Uh, you know, the company keeps saying it to us. They said it again today. They want to get to a deal. They they want to to uh, quickly get through this process. And and we appreciate that. We appreciate their earnestness. We'll keep them at their word, and we will match them in intent. Um, we'll see how this week goes as, as we make our our global term sheet pass next week, and they or tomorrow, excuse me, and they have some time to chew on it. We're just going to keep building upon there, and hopefully it goes quickly because there's not a lot uh, uh, of disagreement, um, and we'll just see. All right, thanks, Chris. Uh, so two more points that were uh, I had some committee members text me as we were going um, before we wrap off for the official portion here. We do have some more questions, and after the official portion is done, we can hang out for a little bit. But uh, Tim Dick, the Family Awareness Chair wanted me to remind everybody that uh, Sun and Fun is uh, going to be occurring from Wednesday, March 29th to Sunday, uh, April 2nd. Um, I plan to be there from Thursday to Sunday. It's going to be a great opportunity for uh, folks to get together um, to pass a lot of information out and, and just, a, you know, generally a good time. Also, Mark Erickson, the chair of the Compass Project Committee, uh, he texted me and said that Compass has a compensation guide. There's a lot of good info in there. And as you're trying to review your paychecks, which I'll tell you, it, it is a confusing uh, process, um, review that guide. And if there's things in there that doesn't explain, let them know. They can, they can update that uh, as needed. So we're going to end the official portion of this here. Um, so thank you, everybody, for, uh, for being on the call. Um, and uh, that's it. Thanks.